0: We're going to be in Acts chapter two today. I want to give you a quick uh, thought that the two words that are going to anchor today's text is fellowship and prayer. We're going to be in Acts two forty-two through forty-seven today, and again next week. And so, uh, come back. We're glad you made it. We'd love to have you back again. We'd love for you to invite a friend. But today, we're going to look at two important words of the early church and the work of the Spirit of God, which is fellowship and prayer. Fellowship and prayer. If you are a guest of ours today, this is your first time joining us in this series, I want to give you a quick recap. And so we've uh, been preaching through Acts 1 and Acts 2, which this is a book in the New Testament, which is in the scriptures. This book is written about kind of the move of God through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit after Jesus lived, after Jesus was crucified, after Jesus was buried, and after he was raised to life. And then it says he ascended to go be at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And where he is praying for us, that's good news. Jesus right now is interceding and praying for you and praying for the church. This is good news. And Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, close. And in Judea, a little bit further out. And Samaria, across kind of lines and boundaries and geographies. And to the ends of thee, who gets in on all this action? Everybody. All y'all. Everybody gets in on this good news. William J. Larkin Jr. in his commentary on this says this, the fact that the great commission, which is Jesus saying you will be my witnesses, he's commissioning the church, he's saying you are being sent, the Father sent me, I'm sending the Spirit, and the Spirit will empower you so you can live as sent ones. The fact that the Great Commission is the last instruction of the risen, now ascended, and imminently returning, Lord gives it great weight. He is not mentioning an optional ministry activity for individuals with cross-cultural interests and churches with surplus funds. The Great Commission is the primary task that the Lord left his church. God has done the things that we cannot do. But God in his infinite kindness and wisdom has said, I do have something for you to do. I do have a participatory invitation to you, and it won't be by your own strength or power. In the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, you will witness, you will just tell of who I am and what I'm doing in you and in the earth. And I just want you to share it with everyone. Small task. And here's the thing. We're here today because the church before us has lived into this promise and this purpose. Will we? Will we? Last week, Alan, our founding pastor, gave a great message. If you have not had the chance to listen to it, you can go check it out on our podcast on iTunes. You can find it on our website. But he spotlighted these verses, so I'm continuing the recap here. You might be like, Kurt, this is actually preaching the same message twice. That's okay. Verse 36, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Praise God, I'm included in the scriptures, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The question that they asked is the question we must continue to ask today. What must we do? What must we do? There's this invitation from the living God to us, and when we get kind of available to that, when we begin to consider that, we are left with the same question What must we do? It's a question with lots of courage. Because it's actually positioning you to be transformed into a new way. My life was like this before God. I have encountered the presence of the living God. And now I'm asking the question, now what must I do? It will yield transformation and it will be different. What must we do? And what we're going to see is the early church begins to live into a response to this in Acts 2, 42 through 47. 47. Because what they saw is that the Holy Spirit is a promised gift. I don't know about your experience with church or with Christian theology or practice, but here's what I want you to know. The scriptures say the Holy Spirit is a gift to you from God the Father and from God the Son. So before we get all weirded out like, oh, I don't want that Holy Spirit because they're going to do weird stuff, or I've heard about that kind of church, or I've heard about that kind of person, don't filter the Holy, through, the Holy Spirit through people and humans. We'll just mess it all up. We have made it weird. We will make it more weird. We have not made it weird enough. We've done all every which way you can do. But what I want us as a church to understand is that the Holy Spirit is intended to be a gift to you. And it's actually how close God wants to be to you. God wants to be the empowering presence of your life that you could know and rely on God every day. The Holy Spirit is a gift. And here's the thing, if you've ever wondered what the Holy Spirit is going to do to you, transform you so that you can bear fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, and God, through the Holy Spirit, is going to give you a heart for humanity, because the Holy Spirit is pursuing people to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit is a gift, And the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to witness so that the people God loves, which is all of humanity, could experience and know the love of God. This is the witness of the church. This is the witness of the Holy Spirit. This is the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. And as you read, the Holy Spirit will do things that only God can do to proclaim the glory of God in ways you can hear it. In ways you can know it, in ways you can experience it and receive it. And we just get to be a part of that. And so, check out how the early church looks in Acts 2 42 through 47. This is what it says, picking up in verse 42. Now, here's the thing thousands of people have been added to the church, mass explosion they're proclaiming the glory of God, and people are saying, what should we do? And they begin to follow the community of Jesus' followers. They join the community, and this is what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. Just think about this for a second. The early church commits to relationship with God and relationship with each other. They start throwing the best barbecues, and people are coming to faith. This is great news. I think this is a culturally appropriate understanding of the scriptures. As I, I, I just, my hope today is that you would get excited about the life of God's kingdom and understand the possibility of what it is for us. Because what we see in the early church is something we need today, and it was something Jesus pointed us to, and it's this. They experienced Holy Spirit-inspired unity. They devoted themselves. Everyone was filled. All the believers were together together. They continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Holy Spirit is always working a unifying work. If you go back and read in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, It is by your unity and love for one another that the world will know me. So, is it any surprise that maybe the world's having a hard time knowing Jesus? I don't know, I mean, we should deal in reality. The Holy Spirit's work is a unifying work, which means if we're not experiencing unifying work, we should be considering the source of what's at work. Fair enough? Okay, we need to keep going. I'm not going to stay there long. Y'all can work on that one. So here's what I want to do. I want to jump into the the first witness of this unifying work is a witness of fellowship. And we're specifically using the word fellowship, not... What would be a a word that you think we would use there? Community. Community, right? And they kind of work, but what you have to understand is the word fellowship has more entailed and more involved in it than simply community. The early church was experiencing fellowship. And Russell Benjamin Miller says it this way. From the very beginning, the early Christians experienced a peculiar sense of unity. Christ is at once the center of this unity and the origin of every expression of fellowship. The witness of fellowship in the church is a counter-cultural kingdom reality. There are lots of groups and people who unify around a single thing that unifies them. The work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the church in fellowship unified a people that would not have chosen each other because they were choosing Jesus. And as they chose Jesus, they then chose each other. That's fellowship. Fellowship has these elements of friendship and transformation. It is fellowship with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that brings fellowship among the people. They were sharing what they had. They had communion with God and communion with one another. This witness is compelling. You know how I know so? Because it says daily people are being added to their number. Something very different is happening in this moment in time and culture and space, and it is countercultural to what they had known. There's political powers in, in play. Sounds like today, right? There's political powers in play, there's affinity groups. There's this sect and that. There's these people and those people. There's a multi ethnic, multicultural city in the mix here. And yet God is doing something different, and it is the witness of the Holy Spirit. There was this commitment to one another commitment to one another. There was commitment. There was a rhythm of life that put them in the same room and at tables and at worship gatherings and on mission, witnessing to the love and the mystery and the majesty of God. And it was all done together in fellowship. I'll be honest. I grew up in the Vineyard uh, Association of Churches. And the church that I attended was Vineyard Christian Fellowship of Houston first. The official name of our church is the Vineyard Christian Fellowship of Pearland. And I'm just going to confess, you know, sometimes you get a mic and you get in front of people and you just start confessing stuff you didn't plan to confess. I've always sort of like thought the word fellowship was lame, outdated. I was wrong. It's needed. It's needed. It's healthy and it's necessary and it is so biblical. They had a witness of fellowship. There was this beautiful fabric within their life and their experience that was countercultural. It did not look culturally normative. It was peculiar. May that be said of us. But I'll tell you what, as peculiar as it is, When we commit to grow in God and we grow together, beautiful things happen. Beautiful things happen. God moves and God works and we then point to that work of God collectively and together. Again, I'm going to read Howard Thurman to us one more time. Same quote. The movement of the Spirit of God in the hearts of men and women often calls them to act against the spirit of their times. What spirit of our times do we need to act against because we're prioritizing King Jesus in our lives? That the Holy Spirit is leading us in a way that is right, good, and true, but it transforms the way we live here and now. In a moment of dedication, they devoted themselves to one another. They are given wisdom and courage by the Holy Spirit to dare to deed a deed that challenges and to kindle a hope that inspires there is nothing wrong with being challenged and challenging when it's anchored to a heart that is saturated in hope and in a posture of love for the other person this is good news the witness of fellowship I want to show you a picture of how I think this was working then as I see this in the scriptures and this matters for us today. Our hope at the vineyard is that you would become a growing disciple of Jesus. That means that you're learning how to follow all of your life and let Jesus lead you in all of your life. You're learning how to follow Jesus with all of your life and let the Holy Spirit lead you in all of your life. That's what discipleship is summarized. So, what's interesting is what we see in the early church is that their discipleship model was life with God. They had communion with God. They understood the scriptures. They broke bread together. They went and worshiped. They praised God. They experienced his favor. There was this beautiful, compelling life with God. And then they shared that life with others. There was life with others. They met in their homes and they met in the temple courts. Right here, we're in the temple courts. I'm so grateful for these air-conditioned temple courts. They shared resources with each other. They experienced the scriptures together. They prayed together. It was life with God, life with others. And it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, which means people outside and beyond their immediate community were experiencing the outflow of life from God and from others in a missional way. Life with God, life with others, life on mission. This is the outflow of God's kingdom. It is all relational. It is all anchored in the love of God. And it is allowing us to then participate with the ministry of the Holy Spirit here and now in our day and time. That we would resist the flow of culture apart from God. And we would model and invite people into a way of life that is fellowship and prayer. I want to jump to the last slide with all the arrows for fun. Life with God. We gather to worship God. That's what life with God is, is to worship God. We practice that here with our large gathering on Sunday morning. We want you to gather in small groups. It says they met in each other's homes. We have things called small groups here at the vineyard that we want you to meet in each other's homes. You can meet at the church. You can meet at a coffee shop meet at a restaurant. You can meet at a park. Wherever it is, you can gather with a few other people to pray for one another and read the scriptures together and encourage each other on this journey. And then there's this missional participation where you're serving others. I saw a picture of so many people serving other people this week through camps and VBS and food banks. Prayer. We don't just pick one because they all fuel and fill and move with each other. And that's what we see in the early churches. We see movement. It's the movement of God that's transforming. It's the movement of God that calls us into relationship. It is the movement of God that adds to their number daily, those who are being saved. Which means they knew people who needed saving. And we can never forget that if we have joined the community and we are following Jesus, we were those who needed saving which should make our heart very compassionate towards anyone who is a lot like me, who would be imperfect, as it turns out. Can you relate? I got one. That's where you go, amen. Everybody together, amen. Yeah, come on. Guys, it's real life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way. For those who profess following Christ, Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. You, as a follower of Jesus, are the ones people will determine whether or not they like the God you serve. By the way you serve and love and embody the witness of the Holy Spirit. I read this this week and I thought, man... Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Do you just sometimes feel like that's not the way it's working right now, at least on social media environments? We are called to be transformed by the living God. And when people see that transforming work in our life, they should go, I want to know that God that you're following. I want to taste and see how good that God is. And this becomes possible when we embrace a life of humility, which means we will let our life be connected to other people's lives. We have to anchor in fellowship. We have to anchor in fellowship, and here's the thing. This then anchors us in a life of prayer, and this is where I want to finish today. It's very simple easy to read over. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The witness of prayer says that our communion with God is the source of life. Our communion with God is the source for everything in our life. Howard Thurman says, Prayer is a form of communication between God and man, and man and God. He goes on to say, I am always impressed by the fact that it is recorded that the only thing that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to do was to pray. God, teach me how to pray. Teach me how to have communion with you at all times because your Holy Spirit has filled me. You are that close. Your Holy Spirit longs to lead me and guide me. Teach me how to hear your voice and follow your ways. As I learn how to let my life be centered on God, all that I need begins to be centered on God. Prayer centers all of my needs in God and on God. And then what that allows me to do with greater confidence, because I'm learning how to listen to God, I'm sharing my life with God, is that when I meet a friend and I'm walking with someone in fellowship, I feel empowered to join them and pray for them for the things they need. I begin to listen to God for them as much as I'm listening to God for me. I'm committed to a life of prayer. It's a conversation with God that I then share in a conversation with the people I have fellowship with. What are you facing? What are you going through? What are the challenges? And then what are the celebrations? Because prayer can be as much a celebration as it can be a lament. Prayer can be just as much gratitude as it is this posture of, God, I need you. I need you. It can be, God, I'm so grateful for today. I'm so grateful for what you're doing in my life. I I celebrate the favor of God among all the people. But prayer does not isolate me away from people. Prayer invites me to a posture and a a heart with people. The witness of prayer. Here's how I think our witness for prayer matters. One, when we commit to a life of prayer, what we are saying is, I depend on God. It is not my strength. It is not my power. It is not my spirit or my will. What we say is, I am a needy person who needs the presence of the living God, or I might not make it today. I don't have this. I don't have it. It's freedom. You don't have to have it. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have it all make sense. You can be human and begin to let your life be anchored to the living God. That is prayer. God, I need you. God, thank you. God, I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. Teach me to listen to you. Help me understand more of your heart and your compassion for people. Help me see the world the way you see the world. Prayers can be really powerful one words. Help. Come. Please. A life of prayer lets you live with expectancy. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus was raised to life. And Jesus will come again, which means when we pray, we have an expectancy of a living God, not a dead one. We learn to live with expectancy, and we say, let your kingdom come. That's why we pray this week in and week out together to orient our discipleship to this expectancy that, God, you want to make all things right, good, true, and new. So here's my last thought for prayer. When we pray for other people, and I think we should, and we can learn how to do that, and that might be terrifying for you, so we hope to train and equip you in the coming months of how to pray for others, how to pray for family and coworkers and friends, But let me just give you this one anchoring thought that should give you lots of freedom. When we pray for one another, we always express love and care. It's not your job to always pray and miraculous things happen. That's that's what God does. We get some now and we don't get some now. We get some answers now and we don't get some answers now. But here's what happens. Most often when I'm praying for a friend, I'm usually praying for things that are not right. Right? For circumstances and situations that we don't want to remain in. So when I come alongside and I stand with them in that posture or they stand with me in that posture, they communicate something really important. I don't want you to stay where you are. I love you. I care about you. And if you want your circumstances to change, if you need your interior life to change, if you need freedom from addiction, if you need a healing of a relationship, if you need a job, guess what? I want that for you too. I care about you. I love you. And guess what? The creator God loves you. So let's pray about this and let's invite God to come. When we risk praying for one another, we risk love and care. Be empowered to do it this week. Give it a shot. As we listen to the heartache and the needs around us, just go, I think God cares about that. And if I'm not sure if God cares about it, if I care about it, just step right up. I care about it. I care about you. Could we just ask God to provide? Could we ask God to move? Could we ask God to heal? You know what we pray for a lot in our home? Headaches. Headaches are the worst. I don't like headaches. But you know what happens when you learn to pray for headaches? You learn to pray for all the other stuff that feels way too big. When when you begin to pray with another friend and you hear what their big is, you realize that the faith I bring adds to the faith they have and we together experience fellowship. We're in it together and we can anchor with communion with God in prayer and we can walk this out because we need each other and we need a God who's alive and at work. Otherwise, it's all lost. Good news. (laughs) Good news. Good news. Let's stand together. Let you stretch your legs. I've been stretching mine. Oh, there's so much more to be said about this, which is why we need to connect in groups, why we need to share meals together, why we need to read the scriptures together, why we need to pray for one another, because never, ever, ever will a sermon get it done. It is the power and presence of the living God over a life of following Jesus into eternity. Apparently, he wants our worship forever. We sang about that this morning, didn't we? What do you need today? If you were back in Acts 2, you heard about all these really good barbecues that were happening that you sort of wished you had been invited to. What would be your need? What would be the thing you would be looking to God to say, God, if you're real, I need you to show up? Here's another way I'll say it. Peter says this. They say, what should we do? He says, repent and believe. What he actually says is turn to God. Where in your life today do you need to turn to God? You've just been handling it yourself. You've been trying to figure it out yourself. And God is saying, hey, turn to me. That's what faith is. Faith is turning to God. And repentance is actually turning to God. So, God, I've been doing it my own way. But I'm letting go of that. I'm repenting of the ways I... I handle my life on my own, and I'm turning to you. Do you need healing today? Do you need freedom from addiction today? What chains? Where do you feel bound up? Where do you feel like you are not experiencing the life you want to live? We want to pray for those things today. So here's how we're going to close. Everybody's going to get prayer today. You go, I don't know if I want that. That's okay. You can resist. If you know you have a need today, you need a relationship with God. You know that today is the day that you're stepping in and going, God, I've done it on my own. Today I choose to follow you. I want life with God. You can have life with God today. You've sort of been doing the individualistic thing. Repent and come into the family of God. Turn to God. You need healing, you need freedom, whatever it is. I'm going to ask you actually just to come and just make a sea of people down here. If you know you have a need and you want to encounter God, just come. And as you're coming, I'm going to pray for the whole room. And we will stay and pray for everybody as long as we need to. Today is the day for you to receive from God. Today is the day for you to experience the Holy Spirit. I love what Peter says. He says, repent, turn to God, be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. It is an immediate gift. If you know you need the Spirit of God, the presence of God to come fill you and empower you, come right now. Just begin to walk and fill the place down here. I'm going to pray for all of us, and then we'll gather around and pray specifically for whatever your need and request is. So God, today we look to you. We want to be a place that our fellowship with one another is truly peculiar. It is against the spirit of our times because it is the way of your kingdom. And so we say, Holy Spirit, come. If we have needs today, we come into your presence. If we want relationship with you today, we come into your presence. If we need healing and we need hope, we say, yes, King Jesus, come. Heal those who are sick. Make things right that are wrong. Set relationships back to whole. We say, come, Lord Jesus. Pour out your spirit on our church that we might be a witness to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That we would proclaim the good news. And give us courage this week to pray where we see need. We bless all of the church as we go this week to look to you in all things, and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.